thanks for listening to this podcast from Walks Around Britain. For more information, our terms of use, and to click through to see the show notes on our blog with photos, videos, and links to related sites, please visit walksaroundbritain.co.uk. this first edition of the Walks Around Britain podcast, I fall in love with the UK in miniature, the Isle of Man. We find out about some exciting spring and summer products from Webtogs and... Once you reach a certain age where you're merely dressing for comfort, it's fair enough to always be in a fleece, to be in a, in a, in a mid-layer. Comedian and hill walker Ed Byrne tells us about Munro bagging and what age you're allowed to wear fleeces all the time. Hello, I'm Andrew White and welcome to this first edition of the Walks Around Britain podcast. And yes, I know we've done a few little podcasts before, but this is completely different. It's going to be a new monthly walking and outdoor podcast, a kind of outdoor magazine programme for your ears. And every month we're going to be bringing you a different mix of outdoor news and views, interviews with outdoor and walking people, guides to walking in different areas, gear and kit reviews and audio walks. Just like a new pair of boots, this podcast might creak a little until it's bedded in, although we hope it won't happen very often. And it's not just going to be a one-way street either. We'd love for you to get involved too. You can either email us, tweet us or write us a message on our Facebook wall. Or if you're more media savvy, you can record your thoughts to us on an audio boo and tweet us the link. Record a message from your smartphone and email it to us. Or even record a voice message from your computer by visiting our blog. I'll give you all the contact details at the end of the programme. Last year I was invited to visit the Isle of Man to take in the beauty of the island and to film some walks. Now it's a place that's always intrigued me. So what is it like? How easy is it to get there? And more importantly, what's the walking like when you're there? To fill you in, I'm starting in the middle of a Yorkshire airport departure lounge. The Isle of Man is an island right in the middle of the Irish Sea. And it's almost equidistant from England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Getting there is easy. By sea you can travel with the Isle of Man Steam Packet Company from Belfast, Birkenhead, Dublin, Haitian and Liverpool. Sailing times from Liverpool are around two and a half hours, two hours forty. Alternatively you can fly to the island's airport at Ronald's Way and a number of carriers fly from many airports around the UK and Ireland including Logan Air, Flybe, EasyJet and Manx 2. Now I'm flying today with the kind folks at Manx 2 from here at Leeds Bradford Airport which is the nearest Manx 2 operate from for me. Now I'd better get on board. I'm at Ronald's Wade Airport now and it's a, it's a lovely compact affair. It's located on the south of the island and taxis are waiting outside with set fares available to take you to Douglas or to other places on the island. And buses run every hour through the airport between Port Erin 
and Douglas. And from Douglas, you can change for other parts of the island. Or you can hire a car, like I'm doing, directly from the providers at the airport. Now I'm here to film two walks. One is around the historic town of Ramsey in the northeast of the island and the other is on part of what is the Isle of Man's walking crown jewels. The coastal walk all around the island called in English the way of the gull and I'm not going to spoil the Manx language by trying to say it in Manx but there is such a wide variety of walks to do on this island and to find out more I caught up with the coordinator of the annual Isle of Man walking festival Mike Salmon on a bench above a windy Peel Harbour. Yeah, the walks vary from town walks. I mean, you can do a walk around Ramsey Town, which just covers the outskirts of the town, to the little villages, or into the cliff tops. It's such a wonderful island that you can actually walk from the sea to the mountain in a day. That's how our variety, how the terrain changes so much. The nice thing about the mountains or the hills on this island, they're not too big. And we've actually only got one mountain anyway, and that's just over 2,000 foot. So all the hills are, are climbable within a day, and you've always got the view of the sea, no matter where you are. Well, here I am in Ramsey, which is the terminus for one of the three heritage transport lines on the island. This one is the Manx Electric Tramway, which dates back to 1893. <laughs> and we'll take you from here in Ramsey to Douglas via Laxey where you can change for the Snaefell Mountain Railway to venture to the top of the island's mountain. Now on this walk I'm going to see Ramsey's Royal Connections as well as one of the island's biggest harbours and a quite impressive beach. So I'd better get on with filming it. Ah, here I am on Ramsey Beach. Now it, it, there's nobody here at the moment but I can imagine that during the summer time this gets quite busy. When I was a child, family holidays by the seaside always involved some skimming along the water. I think I'll have a go. Now I'm filming at the moment in front of a derelict pier, it's called Queen's Pier and it's an iron pier built in 1886. It's 2,241 feet long, that's 679 metres long and it was purely designed as a landing point for steamers on the Liverpool, Fleetwood, Belfast and River Clyde routes and as such it never had any amusements or clubs or theatres like piers around the British coast although it did have a small cafe at the far end and a horse-drawn tramway. Now the pier got its name when Queen Victoria and Prince Albert docked here in 1847 when heavy seas made it impossible to enter Douglas Harbour. Recovering from seasickness, Victoria remained on the royal yacht leaving Prince Albert to venture ashore. Now their visit was followed by King Edward VII and Queen Alexandria in 1907. Sadly, since 1979 though, the pier structure has slowly been declining and in 1991 the cafe was destroyed by fire and it wasn't long before the whole of the pier was closed. Unfortunately, restoration work is going ahead as you can probably hear and there's a link on the show notes to the Friends of the Queen's Pier website if you'd like to have more information. Right, I'd better crack on as I've got to film the rest of the walk to the end which has another royal connection.
And here I am, and at the end of the Ramsey Walk is the Albert Tower, which was built to commemorate the royal visit of Prince Albert on the 20th of September 1847. Prince Albert climbed to the top of this hill, where he viewed the surrounding town of Ramsey and the Northern Plain. And the hill was renamed Albert Mound, and a year later, the tower's foundations was laid. Mike, can you tell us about the All-Island Walk? The coastal walk is best done over seven days, and the reason it's such a lovely walk, I mean, it's 84 miles, uh, but you do an average of about 15 miles a day. It's, it's doable on the public transport, so you have no problem, you don't need a car. And the nice thing about it is every day the terrain is so different. You go from the cliff tops to the beach walking to the lane walking and, and everything. And so that's what makes it such a wonderful attraction. It's a, a great amount of places to, to stay on route. Yeah, I mean, everywhere you stop on all the, all the main places, Peel, Port Erin, uh, Ramsey, there's, there's always accommodation. And Jerby, which is the one place that is out of the way, there's actually a lady who has a farm, she'll pick you up and, and put you up for the night and then take you back the day after. Obviously, Douglas is probably the most preferable place because there's more entertainment going on at night and things of that nature. And as I said before, with the coastal footpath, it's achievable by public transport. There and back every day. So I'm, I'm going to be doing the coastal walk from Port Erin. Can you tell me about that? Because I wanted to see the car found today. Yeah, the, the, the best bit of the, of the coastal footpath, if you like views, is definitely from Port St Mary to Port Erin. It's all footpath walking, there's no lanes walking. There's a lot of history to it when, you, when you're going through places like Craig Niche and, and things of that nature. And of course, you get the opportunity to see the calf. Now the calf is a, is a small island off the island, but its beauty in itself is that nobody lives there. It's a complete nature reserve. And if you do get the opportunity to go onto the calf, it's only a small boat ride across from Port Erin, well worth the trip. Well, I'm standing on part of the coastal walk between Port St Mary and Port Erin, and I completely understand what Mike was talking about. This is absolutely stunning. The views out to the Irish Sea are simply amazing. We'll put some photos on the show notes but you can really you really have to wait for our walking video to do it justice or of course come over to the Isle of Man and discover it for yourself. So what's the best way to come walking on the island? Mike Salmon again. Well there's two ways they can do it. You can either just come by themselves, uh, pick up a, a map uh, which will get you around and you won't get lost. But the best way if you've never been before to the island is to come on our walking festival. It's running May every year and it's a, it's a seven day package holiday. During those seven days, you enjoy five days of walking, all led by experienced walk leaders. who will not only just take you on the best walks that is on the island, they'll tell you the history of the island, all about the island, and you don't have to even worry about looking at the map. And because we're bringing people onto the island to the walking festival, we feel that we have to look after them as well. So we don't just take them on a walk and forget them. We actually have nice entertainment for them as well. So we have five evenings of entertainment. So it's in effect, it's like a full package holiday. And if anybody is interested in that, then just contact the tourist board because it is one of the best ways you will see this island. That's the brilliant thing about walking is that it's so social. It is. And I think also the majority of walkers are on the, on the older end. And especially when they come into walking festivals, because certain ones have got the time off work or they're retired or things like that. And of course that, that age period also brings a lot of single people back, back into life. So it's not those people who have to attract them, we have to attract them all sorts. With those in mind, that's what the walking festival was brought about for. And it'll show people all the beauties of the island. It does. I mean, like I say, we have, we have experienced walk leaders, all, they're all manx people, they all know the island, they love spending the island, and they think they, they 
best like they all, they'll just tell them how nice this island is. They love to project it as what it, what it really is about. And many thanks to Isle of Man Tourism and Manx 2 for the trip, which I'm sure will be the first of many to the island. Well, it'll soon be springtime, and the focus will shift onto what the manufacturers are bringing out for the spring and summer 2012 range. And to help us with that is an old friend of Walks Around Britain, Gareth Jones from the online retailer Webtogs, who joins us from their Dorset headquarters via Skype. Gareth, welcome to the programme. You're welcome, Andy. Thanks for inviting us, mate. And uh, yeah, good to talk to you again. So what's exciting you for the Spin and Summer Rangers 2012? Well, I think for me, from, from my side, there's two things. The first thing is sandals. We, we broke keen across here in the UK, sort of 2007, 2008. And we think we're going to do it again with another brand which is coming across in the States, um, a brand called Chacos. Now, although it might sound a bit sound, sort of strange getting excited about sandals, I, I've actually fallen in love with these because I've been wearing mine I've been wearing mine all over Christmas and the New Year. And the key thing with Chacos is just basically how comfortable they are. They're an American brand. They're a big bunch of hippies, so they've got a serious attention to all things environmental. They're, they're completely vegan in terms of their manufacturing process. But what I like about them is, is the, the fit that they've actually got. So you've got a system that, whereas Keens are, are quite good for a wide-fitting foot, the Chacos actually have are much better in terms of adjusting around your feet. So they're much more suitable for both narrows and wide-fitting people. And also the actual soles themselves. They have something called the Lerve seat, which isn't a cheesy 70s movie title. It is actually the, uh, it's actually sort of the footbed themselves. And, and they're right. just brilliant at sort of cradling and, and making sure your feet stay on one page. So I'm really, I'm really quite excited about those. And, and I think we're going to be some of the first to actually have them here in the UK. Well, that sounds very interesting. Um, so they're, they're what really excites me and the other thing is as well is that I'm, I'm a huge windshirt fan I'm, I run really really hot whenever I'm out on the hill I'm not I, although I like my waterproofs but when it comes to, to winter time most of the time I'm running so hot that I don't really need a waterproof I just need something which is going to keep the wind off my back and North Face have got a jacket coming out called the North Face Verto and it's got some very distinctive styling which is a bit me it's kind of a little bit kind of culture club shiny 80s but <laughs> it is actually it's an awesome awesome jacket it just comes in at 80 grams which is next to nothing that's a fantastic weight but i'm i'm as i said it, it's not for everybody i'm a huge windshirt fan i really really like them, so I'm, I'm super excited to get those on board as well so what do you think we can expect in the way of innovation this year i don't think there's going to be a huge amount in terms of straightforward innovation there i think there's what we're probably going to see is more evolution than than innovation i think the things that are really going to excite me thermarest are coming out with a, a new neo air range they sort of really broke the mould when they came out with the Neo Air series sort of just over a year and a half ago now and it redefined what it was to be a, a lightweight mattress um, and they've got several new versions that are coming out in particular the Neo Air X Lite which is coming at just 350 grams and I think that's that's going to be really exciting so I'm really looking forward to that I'm also looking forward to what some, several brands are going to be doing with Gore-Tex Active Shell as well uh, I think we're going to see some some interesting uses with I mean obviously Active Shell is, is perhaps not quite as robust as its, as its pro shell cousin and but what we're seeing now is we're seeing some brands who are trying to sort of get around that with having almost like mapping areas. So you've got high wear areas like the shoulders and the waist where uh, they're reinforcing it. So I'm really excited about seeing some of those come through to market um, and actually sort of getting this blend of, of, of a high breathability fabric along with some other fabric, which is going to really sort of stand the test of time for your, for your high abrasion areas. And environmental issues seem to be coming into products this year as well. 
They do indeed, because I think there's, I've, I've only just been sort of reading about it a little bit today as well, but Gore-Tex have got a new fabric which is coming out, I think, which, yeah, which is much more sort of environmentally conscious. But just in terms of the production methodologies for, for their existing fabrics as well, they're paying much more attention, shall we say, I think, based on what Patagonia have, have done. They've, they've sort of, they've taken the lead from Patagonia and really trying to improve and make sure that the resources that they use um, don't impact the planet, shall we say. And that is very important. So what kind of gear have you been buying recently? Well, I mean, for me... It, and do we have enough time on the podcast for the list? Yeah, no, we, we, I've, been, I've been really, really... Uh, I've been very good recently. I've been trying to sort of sit down and say to myself, right, okay, what do I actually need right now rather than what do I want? So that's pretty much got rid of a, a, lot, of, a lot of fluff. But two things that I've bought this winter, both I've been really impressed with. A NeoAir all-season mattress, which is their four-season version of the NeoAir. Weight is, is great. It's just over five, I think it's 550 grams. But for me, it's brilliant because it, it's it's perhaps not as warm as some of the ones out there, but I've found that that's great camping on everything up to and including snow. And then to partner that from the winter camping side of things, um, I picked up a Rab Alpine 600 bag and I just love Rab. I, I love the fact that they're British. Um, I think one thing that we should be incredibly proud of um, here in Britain is our, our outdoor manufacturers. So people like Rab and, and Mountain Equipment, I think that they and Berghaus, they've, they've been around for sort of 30 or 40 years and, and there's, a, there's a great heritage there. And obviously from a down perspective, that's that's what Rab Carrington sort of started off with, was was, was making down products when he was in Patagonia and uh, that's what I try and whenever I, 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 I love to wrap down full, full stop. So those are my two purchases and I've been out camping in them. I was down to minus six a couple of weekends ago um, for a backpackers meet here in Dorset. It does get that cold down here and uh, yeah, they both perform brilliantly. And where are you looking to go walking this year? Um, well, as you know, I've got um, I've got two small lads, so it's going to be a little bit tricky. So it's that that problem of balancing family time with outdoor time. But it is a bit. I've got a couple of plans this year. I really want to do the Gritstone Trail, which is a, a small, long distance path going up from the edge of the Peak District, which you probably know well, right the way up to sort of sort of Cheshire Way. Um, and I'm going to be wild camping that. That's just a sort of a long weekend. And in terms of of other sort of plans, well, Dartmoor, um, we're hoping to get down to as well for for a week week and solid yomping and that's that's with the family and in, in terms of other stuff just for myself we're going to be having a web togs meet later on in the year we're going to have our first one hopefully down on the southwest coastal path um, and then fingers crossed hoping to get up to scotland maybe for a little winter mountaineering but uh, but we'll see on that that sounds great well thanks so much gareth for joining us your pleasure andy thanks ever so much you take care <laughs> sounds like it might have been dinner time at web togs didn't it now, as far as celebrity walkers go, there isn't anybody funnier than Ed Byrne. He's a master of observational stand-up, and his tours have played to packed venues across the UK and Ireland. But to label him as a comedy walker is grossly unfair. He's a committed Munro bagger, with a total far in excess of mine. So just how did he get into hill walking? Well, 15 minutes before he went on stage to do a gig in the splendid Buxton Opera House, he explained how the passion started. I think I originally got into walking, I suppose, although I can't say that I hugely enjoyed it back then, but I, we had a teacher at our school who, who ran and who was a, a, a qualified mountain leader and he ran adventure holidays during the summer. So we had one of the few hill walking clubs of any school in Dublin, I imagine. So yeah, we, my brother did it and so then I did it and it was, you know, it was all right. I, I, I seem to remember just being quite knackered by the whole thing. But I think probably it was the fact that you're not, uh, 
you're not letting anybody down if you don't there's no failing to score a goal or anything like that it's just as long as you know where you're going you can go there at your own pace and so there isn't a team aspect that uh, or particularly competitive aspect so I think that was having been very bad at all forms of team sport and I also felt there was a certain pointlessness in in you know and I know there's People, people will say the, the, the same about hill walking but the, the, just the whole thing of playing a game where you're kicking something around the place or chasing something I just felt I, I don't know I just felt it was silly maybe because I was never been any good at it though yeah. uh, whereas the hill walking even though it probably doesn't it always felt like it had a sense of purpose you know so when did you get more seriously then? it wasn't for ages it was probably about six or seven years ago uh, not far from here, driving towards my in-law's place in Derbyshire, and I couldn't even tell you exactly what road we were on, but it was a frosty December, driving through Derbyshire moors and just looking out across this lovely rolling landscape and just thought, we should go camping, love, we should totally go out. And we should just, I just felt this desire, this amazing urge to go, uh, to go a walk. And so then just decided that that's what we were going to do. And then I think that like the next holiday we went on, we just went to Scotland for a few days and stayed in a hotel for most of it and just stayed under a tent for one night somewhere near, just off the West Highland Way, just outside of Kinloch Leven. And uh, that was me then. I just started buying books on Monroe bagging and just went from knowing very little about it, like literally putting spelling Monroe wrong when I put, the, put it into a search engine. And going, I really thought there'd be more books about Monroe bagging than there are. There's loads of books about Marilyn Monroe. There's hardly anything about the mountains, Monroe's. And then realised I was spelling it incorrectly. Uh, and it's just, yeah, I, I, I just love it. Do you think it's a bit like Radio 4, you, you have to grow into it? Yeah, it's definitely not something I could have seen myself spending my 20s doing. Even if future me was to look back on my, you know, visit myself at the age of 21 and go, dude, seriously, you're going to love this in your 30s you should really start getting into it now so you can be really good at it by then I'd still go no I think I'd rather go out and get drunk and chase women so it's the missed opportunity like at, at university or something like that until you, you think you, there's a lot of places I mean you've got the sort of perfect opportunity haven't you really now to, to, to go yeah across, yeah and you know at university all the people in the sports union of any of, of every stripe whether it was the kayakers or the or the footballers or the hill walkers, they always had this ruddy-faced look who, and were never out of a fleece, although here he is wearing his merino. But uh, I'm, you know, I'm nearly 40, so I can wear outdoor wear all the time now. What age are you? I'm, I'm 37. 37, you yes. see, I see you there in your North Face top, you know. Once you reach a certain age where you're merely dressing for comfort, it's fair enough to always be in a fleece, to be in a, in a, in a mid-layer. But... Uh, when you're at university and, you know, I, I, I eschewed the notion of these ruddy-faced types who were back then just wearing these brightly coloured soft shells. <laughs> they didn't look like my type and, you know, they, 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 they probably weren't, you know, at the time. So, Monroe bagging, how, how are we all at the moment? The Monroe bagging, I'm, I'm at 75 right now and, you know, I think it's just an excellent way when, when, you, when you decide to set a target... Monroe bagging is a great way to then see areas of Scotland that you might not have bothered otherwise, you know, and go and, and just climb up things that maybe you wouldn't have done otherwise. And I understand people's perspective of sometimes Monroe baggers will end up climbing a more boring hill and eschew a more interesting hill because it hasn't got the Monroe status. And I can completely understand where people are coming from with that. But 
Um, that's the that's the bell of truth. Whenever I say something, whenever I admit something to myself, then the the bell tolls. And I'll admit that uh, you know there may be certain certain hills that I haven't as yet bothered to go up. But I I plan after I do the Monroes to, ne- to then next do the Corbett's. You know, that's uh, I'm doing the Monroes now while I can. There'll come a day where I won't be able to manage a manure. I'll only be able to do a corporate, and that's that, that's when they'll be next. That seems a logical way of going about it. Exactly. You know, if I was starting when you know when I was young, when I was like a you know a, a small child, mm-hmm. then I would have started on the easier ones and worked my way up. But because mm-hmm. I'm starting, I won't say it at the peak of my fitness, but you know, at a state when I can do it. And it's just it it, it just gives you it, it it kind of makes you go right. Well, where are we going to go this this weekend? And it just gives you a target to sort of aim for, rather than just aimlessly going. Well, let's just go for a, for a walk, you know. And plus, you know, you always go and if there's a corporate rent like that nearby, or even just another top, you generally go and pick it off. I'm still I'm still a collector. I'm still a ticker, you know. So, is there anywhere that's really grabbed your fancy that you've seen, or that you, that you haven't gone yet? Um, obviously, the Coolin Ridge and the Isle of Skye, I, I haven't done yet. I'm looking forward to doing it. I've done Blaven, but uh, uh, I haven't done the Coolins, although it made it look like I had when I did Three Men in a Boat. But actually, when I was up there, I was I was just doing... Blaven was the one, only one I was knocking off. Didn't have time to tackle any of the Coolin Ridge because I was too busy filming Three Men in a Boat. It takes a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's obviously a, a, a big one that I'm looking forward to. And you know, I, I really you know, there's quite a few of the sort of multi-day ones where I, you know where you wild camp. And I'm looking forward to Fisherfield would be another one. But then at the same time, I haven't really explored. There's a lot of places now that I've just sort of popped into while I've been doing stuff for like the Great Outdoors or or, or other. You know, I met up with some guys when I did a thing for Country Walking, and uh, you know, I haven't really spend as much time as I maybe ought or should. You're just you know tackling the Wainwrights, even mm. you know that sort of thing. So, but I think, you know, Scotland will certainly keep me busy for the next 10 years anyway. And does any of the, the long trails and the, the, the cost, you know, the, the coast to coast and all that, does that appeal to you? Um, yeah, do you know what I really, is my, is my aim at some point, is the, is the watershed of Scotland. Uh, I have that book, Ribbon of Wildness, yeah. which is a, a great book about, it's, it's an eight-week walk. But that's quite a challenge. I've only, I haven't really done that many long-distance walks. The only really long-distance walk I've done was uh, the oat route, uh, the Chamonix to Zermatt, European oat route, which I loved. It was just fantastic time. And I'd love to do one of those again. And maybe, maybe something like the watershed, maybe if I... I suppose I could do it in sort of week-long or two-week-long uh, sort of stints. Yeah. That still feels like cheating, doesn't it? You've got to really do it in one go. Yeah, exactly. I don't really have time. I mean, the West Highland Way is an ocean, but a few people have said that if you're really into hill walking, that the West Highland Way isn't... You just spend a lot of time on, you know, not actually going up any hills. So I'm not really sure. But then what's the one from from Inverness up to the top? What's that called? uh, Oh, from Fort William to Inverness, I mean. Yes, but that's the one. I might uh, give that a whirl at some point. So does any of the Welsh ones take your fancy? I... I've nothing against Wales. I've I've gone up uh, Trufan and Snowdonia certainly is beautiful, and the Brecon Beacons are probably a lot handier to get to from Essex than the Highlands of Scotland. So I I'm sure I'll get to all of them at some point. Yeah, but uh, I haven't I haven't had a chance yet. 
Apart from, apart from as a true fan. What's walking like around your area then? Oh, walking around my area is crap. It's really flat. It's really sort of... And on the one hand I go, well then, you know, it's probably just as well because then you've nothing to look forward to when you, when you, when you go to go walking elsewhere. But it's a great place if you're into cycling because it's quite flat. But uh, no, the walking around North Essex sucks. <laughs> to my mind. Probably when you, if you've got a really good local area... You don't tend to appreciate it as much, do you, sometimes? True, and I did first. I did used to jog around my area quite a bit. And it's, you know, and it's also, you know, it's pretty good for that because it's relatively flat. And it's, you know, it's, it's beautiful in its own way. But when you're into climbing mountains, the, the flatness of North Essex is not going to do it for you. And you, also, you manage sometimes to, to link it with a, a gig somewhere? Yeah, I mean, this time last year, I was doing a little warm-up tour around the Highlands and Islands of Scotland. And yeah, I managed to, to get a couple of hill walks in while I was doing that. Did uh, Mount Hope? Is that the no- most northerly one? Yes. Yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, did that, you know, just after we having done a gig in Durness the night before. My problem was that the couple of guys that I brought with me as the other acts weren't quite as keen on, uh, on, on, on throwing themselves up mountains as I was. So trying to persuade them was, was a bit difficult. And it also, having just done... Or the day before, I did, we did a gig in King Uzi. We went up a hill called Mialkuch, which it was a bad day to bring novice hill walkers out because the weather was terrible. And Matt Mialkuch, just loads of false summits, just loads. And I'm doing that thing, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of looking at the map a bit, but I'm like, yeah, it'll be just over, it'll be just over there. Definitely, over the next and then we're there, and then it just never was. And I think I left them about two false summits behind and then and then just went and summited it myself so um but yeah i do try and try and combine it thank you very much not at all thank you i promised you all our contact details at the start so if you'd like to get in touch with us whether it's